From understanding the news of today to explaining principles which will last a lifetime, you're listening to the Back 40 Leadership Podcast, equipping pastors and church leaders across rural America and beyond to meet the challenges of ministry while advancing the kingdom of God in your local community and in our world. Hello, friends. This is Michael Bond, and I am here with Pastor Todd Stanley. Hey, hey, everybody. Okay, so the last uh, time we recorded, actually, it was after that episode. So whatever the most recent episode is, I think it was 32. Um, Afterwards, Todd and I had had a conversation about a small group experience that he had. And refresh for me, how old were you whenever you were going through this? So this would have been when I was in junior high and high school. So during that period of time. So, you know, from from about age 13 until, you know, until 17, 18. Yeah. And what really struck me about that conversation that we had a couple weeks ago was that you had said that a high proportion of the participants of this small group, I think you had said one third of them, uh, not only wanted to go on to be full-time ministers, but did go on to be full-time ministers. Yeah. So, uh, I don't, I don't know if small group is the right way to frame it. It was the youth ministry at my church. So, I mean, there were about 50 kids in that youth group uh, give or take, um, during those years. Uh, yeah. And so, uh, so I guess what precipitated this was a a couple of weeks ago, uh, maybe, maybe a little more than that now. Uh, I was just reflecting on what I felt like was unique during that period of time. I had heard, uh, another pastor talking about his experience in youth group, uh, and he was talking about how that there were several of his friends from the period of time that he was in youth group uh, who had gone on into ministry. And I thought, well, that's been my experience as well. I wonder what's, you know, what, what's what's interesting or unique about that time. And so I started reflecting on what had, what had gone on. And so out of this group of about 50 people, I started thinking, you know, like, who can I think of off the top of my head right now that's involved in ministry somewhere? Uh, and out of that group of 50 kids, there were 10 people that I could identify that were engaged in and are engaged in full-time ministry right now. And I mean, and that's 30 years later, kind of just to give yeah, away some of my astonishing. age. That's astonishing. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty incredible. And so I started thinking, okay, I number one, I have, we have to just take account for the fact that God was just doing something unique in that particular setting, in the church where I was growing up. Uh, God was doing something significant and unique among that group of young people. Um, but having said that, I, I started going, okay, well, but what, what is it, what was the environment like that facilitated and encouraged that kind of attitude toward, uh, toward us as kids, uh, that kind of uh, hunger for to you know to be used of God that kind of what was it that was what's repeatable because that's the right. thing that I was thinking about like I'm a pastor right and I want to see God do a significant work in our church a significant work in our young people right and so like so I started asking myself what what was what what's repeatable what were the things that were happening in that church where I grew up that encouraged that kind of uh, environment that encouraged that kind of thinking, that kind of um, passion to give our lives to serve Jesus. 
Yeah, because that's, I mean, it's one thing to, I think that collectively all of us as Christians are participating in the project of evangelizing and bringing the lost to Christ. And you can do a lot of remarkable things in a community with a thriving church and with a thriving body of believers. Um, But when you're able to replicate the advancement into pastoral ministry, that you can really achieve some remarkable things that way. And that's hard to do. Um, You know, this is, uh, I think this is well known to pastors everywhere that as hard as it is to sometimes grow your church or sometimes um, evangelize to the Mm -hmm. lost and how unreceiving people can be uh, of the gospel, it's, it's, often orders of magnitude harder to find someone who not only is competent for ministry or has the capacity for ministry, but also is able to have the longevity for it. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a lot, there's a, there's a lot of stories of people who embarked on pastoral ministry and three, four or five, 10 years down the road, um, either burned out or just got discouraged or, right. you know, left for some other reason. And to be able to awaken this desire in youth, and also encourage them such that they were willing to go through all of the training and all of the education, all the things necessary, and that they had the longevity to where, and I don't know how many of these people you're still in contact with, but you're talking like 30 years ago that yeah. they, this happened. Well, so how many of them I've been in contact with is, I, that's the thing. Like I started thinking, who do I, who am I friends with on Facebook right now from that youth group? that I can reach out to that's in full-time ministry. And there were 10 of us, right? And so uh, so I, I sent a, a message out and I just, I asked all of them, I was like, hey, what do you remember from those days? What was unique about our particular context? Uh, what, what were our pastors doing? And in fact, I included uh, two of the men who pastored us during those years, I included them in that message and just said, hey, what do you guys remember as well? Uh, what was unique about that time? What's repeatable? What kind of things were 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 you? Do you feel like you did as a pastor that helped to encourage that? Um, what were were there particular instances? I asked my friends. What were were there particular instances that you remember that were significant in their impact on you? Uh, what was it that made that such a fertile environment? What kind of responses did you get? Anything that stood out? Man, there were some really beautiful things. Honestly. Uh, Number one, the most beautiful thing I think that came out of it was just to hear all of those, not so young people anymore, but right, all of those young people from that time honor the pastors who had led us and their investment in us. Uh, Now we can talk, I want to, in fact, I want to talk about what those pastors were doing, but I think the most significant thing to recognize is that those pastors... um, well, and I'll just call them by name, not that they, I don't know if they listen to Back 40 or not, but I'll call them by name. One, uh, Don Norton, um, and then Mike Glover were the two men who pastored us during those years. Uh, and both of them made significant investments in us as young people. Anytime any of us expressed an interest uh, or a desire to be involved in ministry to like when we when we first mentioned that we felt like we might have a call on our life right they 
began to invest in us in significant ways. And so it was really beautiful to hear person after person after person honor them for what they had done and the way that they had led us. And so if there's anything, and like I said, we'll talk about some of the specifics, but if there's anything I want leaders who are listening to this podcast to take away from this, it is that, that their impact is significant in that regard. And that uh, if if there are people under your leadership, whether they're kids in the youth group or whether they're, you know, just men or women in your church or, you know, expressing a call, man, like, don't diminish that. Don't downplay it. Invest in it. Make room for it. That was one of the things uh, that uh, w- one of the guys said when I asked the question about what was unique about that. And he said, he said, I feel like there was, they made room for our callings. You know, they made room for God to work in our lives. They made room for the, the you know, and he said, I think that you get what you make room for. Yeah, let's hover over this for a, a few minutes. So one of the things that I told, I had explained to my first mentor, David Kimball, um, whenever we were talking through, like, what are the things that worked with me that, you know, I'd started as a a non-believer and I rapidly went from that to a pastoral track and it was under his leadership that this happened under his mentorship. And I remember telling him, um, by far the most important thing that you did throughout all of this is that you took me seriously. Yeah. Like you took my, you, you sat down and you listened for hours to me talk about like ideas that I had and yeah. things like, and, and when you're, when you're a pastor, um, an experienced pastor, Often this means sitting down and listening to someone who's like a day two Christian or a day three Christian talk to you about things that, you know, are are very elementary, but for that person, that's all new stuff. And to be able to process that with someone and to be able to talk about your perspective on these ideas and to be taken seriously. And, and then this goes to your point about making room for the calling. Like I remember the first time he asked me to preach my response was, are you kidding? Are you like, are you sure? Like what? Like, what if I destroy the church? Like what, you know, <laughs> how, how, how is this, how is this even a possibility? Yeah. Um, and so I didn't think that I was ready. Um, I didn't think that I was qualified. Right. And I think that that's where, um, and you can speak into this with the, the men that were a part of your group. Um, it's really easy with someone who has a new calling on their life. It's really easy to, um, make them feel like they're not qualified. If you're not careful, you almost have to encourage them that they are qualified, yes. even if, even if technically they aren't. Yeah. Cause you know what God's going to do in their life. So let me tell you this. Let me tell you something absolutely crazy, right? Uh, I preached my first sermon on a Sunday night in the church that I grew up in at the age of 13 that's incredible. Yeah. Um, my best friend, Randy, uh, was, I think he said, three months shy of his 13th birthday when he was allowed to preach for the first time in our church growing up, right? Um, that's not because we were wise beyond our years and eminently qualified to be teaching the people of our church. That was not it at all. It was absolutely 
the the desire of our pastor to recognize God's call in our life, to provide opportunity for us. Look, objectively, they were not good sermons, right? I look back on it now. My first sermon was a whole five and a half minutes long. I, I was so nervous. I could... But my, but my church, the people of my church were so encouraging and so celebrating what God was doing in us that there was even a desire in our hearts to do that. And, and our pastor was so encouraging. And then he, you know, he brought us along and taught, you know, he, he, he affirmed what was good. Uh, he, had, he helped us to grow and to be better at, at that craft of preaching. I mean, and I, I bet you couldn't. I bet you couldn't find three churches in in America today that have that would allow someone of that age to get up and preach. And I'm not saying that that's a that's a wrong thing. But what I what I am saying is that there was space made for us. There were opportunities that were provided for us that affirmed our calling, that encouraged us, that pushed us along. That like, and so uh, as I was as I was messaging and conversing with, with all of these folks from that period of time, that was the thing. One of the things that kept coming back is that there was opportunity and space made for us. And so, yeah, you, you may not look even, even in our current, my current context here at the summit, I, I could not foresee a, a time where a 13 year old would be given the platform, uh, you know, at, to preach. Um, and that's okay. So, but it does it does force us to go. Okay, where can we provide opportunities? Yeah, what can we do uh, to encourage and to you know? I have to think that that does something for your confidence to know that you are a person who truly has been preaching since you were thirteen. In, in a sense, like you, your first your first sermon was at thirteen. So you think about this, like <laughs> when you think about like the best hockey players in the world. Uh, or any kind of athlete, sometimes golfers, whatever. Um, a lot of times these people have been on skates since they were toddlers. Like they've been yeah. playing hockey since they were babies. And whenever they turn into adults, what that means is that they become people who have been playing hockey since they were babies. Right. And it becomes really hard to beat someone like that in some yeah. sense. And it, not, that, not that this is a competition, but like if we want pastors or communicators who have been doing it their entire life we can't have that unless we allow them to do that their entire life right you have to make room right and so and and i i guess again i don't know what that looks like you know in terms of uh, a weekend message or a sunday feature you know at like a larger church um i i guess if you could do it or if you were able to do it what you'd have to do is you'd have to frame it up you'd have to explain to the congregation hey this is part of our whatever like um advancement program that we want to get youth interested in a calling so so the the sunday night that i preached it was it was a youth weekend right so like our our the young people of our church uh we're handling every aspect of the service that day. So our youth worship team led. There was a kid, right, who got up and gave the announcements. There, you know, I I, I preached that night, right? Um, all that. So so there was intentionality in it. It wasn't just hey, uh, you know, in our this is our normal adult service, and then our thirteen-year-old mm-hmm. kid is going to get up and preach. Uh, not that there would have been anything wrong with that, but there was intentionality 
you know, behind the entire thing. And I think that's the thing that you have to look at. It's like, how can we be intentional about encouraging, equipping, training, and giving opportunity for um, those who are expressing a desire to serve, places to serve, and not just and I don't want to diminish any of these roles, but like not just greeting, right? Not just mm-hmm. serving, you know, as an usher, not just, but like if, if they're expressing a call, you know, to, to a desire to preach or to teach or to, you know, providing opportunity for that, opening space, making room for that. Yeah, I think that's huge. You know, like Charles Spurgeon is, I think he's celebrated for having preached since he was like 16 but then you have to imagine like 16 year old charles spurgeon it's like eh, you know whether or not you'd be able to trust someone like that yeah it seems to be secondary to the fact that like it seems to be secondary secondary to the value of embracing the call and realizing that look you know maybe it's not going to be the best sermon maybe it's not going to be the best content maybe even some of it will be wrong um but it's worth the risk to be able to motivate them and to encourage them and to give them this real opportunity, this solid chance. Well, and look, it, it, it will require something of you as a leader. It will require some of your time. Like if, if you want to be able to ensure that what that, what that young man or woman is going to get up and say is sound, well then, then you're going to need to invest time on the front end, work with them, help them to develop what they're going to say, help them to, you know, uh, you know, if they, have them come to you and say, "Hey, what are you? What are you? What are you thinking about? What are you reading? What's God speaking to you?" And then, you know, and just bring them along, help them. Uh, and that was one of the things. Like I look back and go, the things that our pastors were doing during that time that were so impactful and so helpful was that they gave us their time, they gave us their wisdom. Um, they, uh, I had a I had a youth leader. Uh, who would come and pick me up? Our pastor during well, like opened the church every morning for prayer, and he was there early to pray and invited people to come. And my youth leader would come and pick me up at my house at six a.m. I wasn't even old enough to drive yet, right? And so he would come and pick me up, take me to the church, so that I could be involved in prayer with the leadership of our church. And so I got to hear those men pray and and know what it was like to call in the name of God, right? And to call and to cry out to, you know, and to intercede for people and to spend time in the presence of God. And they modeled that for us and invited me into that space to do that. Um, there was also, like I said, there since there were a group of us who had expressed a desire uh, to be in ministry, our pastor on a, on Tuesday nights was teaching us, like he invited us to come and he like, we did New Testament survey and Old Testament survey. We did a class on hermeneutics and homiletics. We started going through, you know, like he was teaching us practical ministry and teaching us theology and, you know, and helping us to grow. And like, um, and so it requires an, an investment on our part as a leaders to, to bring people along like that. But, but man, like the scriptures say that our job as ministers our job is to as shepherds is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry and i'm so grateful that i had pastors who took that seriously and who in spite of the fact that we were all very young um 
myself and Randy were two of the younger ones. Uh, and then like my older brother and another guy named Ronnie, who was a little, they were a few years older than us. So, but we were talking about kids, like I said, from ages like 13 to 17. Um, and like, in spite of the fact that we were all very young, our pastors took it very seriously. And, um, well, and so were they training you guys with the intention of having you go to seminary after the training or were they training you with the intention of we're going to give them what they need to get on the ground and do ministry should they want to, you know, when they become adults? Both and, you know, uh, you know, there were, uh, there were, yeah, both and, I mean, I, they certainly didn't discourage us from getting more education and going on to seminary. Um, but there, there was also like this sense of like, we're training you so that you can like, if, if you want to go directly into, you know, ministry, then, then you will have the tools that you need to do that. It seems like one of the things that might get in the way of pastors being able to invest in the youth in the way that these two men did is if they are using seminary or looking at seminary as a sorting mechanism for trying to figure out who's called and who isn't. Because I I could picture a reality in which uh, a church is growing and the pastor is looking to, uh, you know, maybe take on an associate or even train up an associate. uh, Or, you know, and I guess like, obviously you're not going to make a 13 year old your associate pastor, but the point that I'm trying to make is like, I don't think that the selection process should start post seminary. And I think that that's where the disconnect can sometimes happen because think about it. If you're going to invest in teenagers as if they are going to be pastors, you just have to live with the risk that you could be investing in people who may end up going and doing something totally different, but you're investing in them by principle, like because of your faith, and what God has told you to do, that's why you're doing it. And it's interesting to me that whenever you invest on faith like that, you end up, at least in this case of your the youth ministry that you were a part of, with a huge yield of yeah. adult ministers. Well, look, there were there were people there were there were students from that time period who um, who who didn't end up in ministry, right? Who um, expressed a calling maybe during that time or were right alongside us in some of those classes and in some of the, you know, were, that didn't end up in ministry. So so it wasn't like there was 100%, you know, like every person who ever said they were going to go into full-time ministry ended up there, but there were a large percentage of us, right? I mean, 10 out of 50, uh, you know, and, and, and those are generalized numbers, but, you know, the 10 is not 50 is kind of, I don't, you know, it's not an exact number, but that's a lot. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, And I'm not saying that's going to happen everywhere, but, but what those men were doing produced results. And one of the things that I've been thinking about, because I've been chewing on this for a little while, going, what was so different uh, than, than what I see as a trend currently in the church and it was one of the things that I keep coming back to is this. No one ever encouraged us or suggested to us that we have a plan B. Ah, huh. 
Huh. No one ever said, hey, go get a degree in something else so that you have something to fall back on. No, no, the, what we were encouraged to do, what we were like, it was like, give your life to serve the Lord, right? If you feel a calling for this, give absolutely everything you are to it. Pursue it with everything you are. Don't look back. Don't look for a plan B. Don't think you need something to fall back on. Trust that God will provide for you. Trust that God will take care of you. Trust that the reward of pursuing Him and pursuing ministry will far outweigh anything else. And man, that has been the absolute truth in my life. And I think oftentimes we we default to this, well, hey, you know, you need to, you know, ministry's hard and it doesn't pay much money, so you need to have something to fall back on. I I think that's junk, man. Like yeah. I think if if you feel like God has called you to ministry, if you feel like God has called you to a life of service, go and do it. Yeah, I'm thinking about in my own journey. I as I was coming up, um it was made such a viable path. Like the the vision was cast as it was such a viable path that I was almost a little bit confused that it didn't happen right away. As soon as I would graduate, as soon as I was done, I was like, okay, well, where's the churches? Yeah. Like why, why are the doors? <laughs> like I, I thought the doors would just be open. Yeah. Um, and <clears throat> it's not that they haven't been open because I've been able to continue on the path. Um, but I think it speaks to the level of his encouragement of my mentors encouragement of like, not only can you do this, but you're meant to do this. And if you try to do something else, it's not going to fulfill you. Right. And it's like, and, and, and yeah, we don't want to break down and start, start talking about pastoral ministry, like the way that we do uh, when we talk about professional athletes, you know, like you might have like a kid who comes up and says, Hey, I want to, I want to play professional baseball. And I think a lot of times what adults will say to that kid, like Derek Jeter has a pretty famous story about this. Um, that, like they say, Oh, well, you know, you, you better come up with a plan B like you're saying yeah, it. Yeah. And, and it's because that seems like a pipe dream, but pastoral ministry is not a pipe dream. It's right. not the same thing as, you know, and it's, 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 it's actually, it's hard, but it's not as hard as becoming a professional athlete in some sense. Like yeah. there's not as much luck involved. There's not as much of, of that kind of stuff involved. Um, and I, I do, I think that that's an important point that you make about how we present this, uh, is it's going to make a difference. Like if you say to, if you say to people, oh, well, you're just, you know, you're going to have to be bivocational. That's just the way it is. That's the way, that's the culture. That's the way that the American church is. You're just going to, that, that's what you're going to have to do. So you got to figure out how to work a job and right. also do ministry on the weekend. And, and sometimes that is the case yeah, and sometimes may, and that's fine, to. but, but it's not in some sense, the money, the, the financial aspect of it doesn't really need to be discussed. In, in a real way. I mean, it does because people need money, but here's the thing. I don't know anyone who's been called to ministry who can just stop and be okay with the fact that they stopped. Yeah. I, I don't think I know anyone right. who's like that. Well, look, I mean, uh, is it Jeremiah, right? Who talks about like, it, it was like a fire shut up in my bones. I mean, it, that that's literally how it feels, right? Like if, if I were not in, in pastoral ministry, if I were not pastoring people, if I were not teaching the word of God, if I were, I would be miserable. And one of the great pieces of advice that I got, and probably there are a lot of you out, out listening to this podcast who got similar advice, but one of the great pieces of advice that I got was, if you can see yourself being happy doing anything else, go do it. But if you know that you will not be fulfilled if you are not in ministry, then don't do anything else, right? And um, 
And I, that's just, I found that to be true. And look, there have been seasons where I've had to work a second job. I've served at churches that, that couldn't support my family without me being bivocational. And, and I, I'm not saying that, you know, uh, that that's not a reality. It absolutely is. Um, but, but do I trust that God will provide? And if I do, then why am I seeking training in any other thing besides ministry? God can provide a job. God can provide the income that I need. God can, you know, it's like, I, why should I, why should I pursue things as the world pursues them if I am not living for the way the world lives, right? If, if I believe that God is my provider. And it's funny because we, we, you know, we, uh, we celebrate this with missionaries, right, who want to go to foreign soil and do something. And we go, man, go get training as a missionary. Go do that thing. And God, trust that God's going to provide for you. Trust that God's going to send you. It's no different. It's no different just because I stayed in my home country, (laughs) you know. Uh, God has sent you. And if God has sent you, he will provide. Yeah, and it's one of the things, um, it's interesting in the culture, whenever you're outside of the faith, I think that there's this view of pastors that they are cut from the same cloth as like medical doctors. Like, it seems like there's a lot of people who think, I mean, this is what I thought. Um, granted, before I was a believer, I didn't know anything about church or yeah. the Bible, nothing. Um, and I thought that pastors, I thought you had to have a doctorate or at least a master's degree. I remember saying of Summit Church, like there's no way I'm getting in the doors there without an MDiv. Like it's just not happening. (laughs) All of them probably have master's degrees. Um, And I remember I just sent a resume, like I sent resumes all over the place. And one of them I had sent here and uh, I just started talking to Mel and then we did the residency and everything kind of, the thing that I'm trying to impress here is that the path to employment at this church was not clear at first it just it was like hey here's an open door and you know i'm gonna i'm gonna step out in faith and see like if i can just be in the room with these guys at the very least there's something like eight ministers here who are experienced and who know what they're doing and i can learn from them and then if that's all i get from it that's fine uh but the every every time every advancement every move forward with this church has been a surprise to me. It's like, <laughs> wait, how, how am I here? How did yeah. how did I end up here? <laughs> like, how are they actually sitting down and having doing a podcast with me? Like, I, and so I say all that to say that you might think it's weird that all you really need to become a pastor is a calling on your life and a and a diligence to be faithful to yeah. that calling. But that's really all you need. Yeah. Um, and everything else, the competence, everything else is added to you. Like, and, and, and really it comes from being faithful. Uh, you can go from knowing nothing and being fully unqualified, being 12 or 13 or whatever it is. And, and as long as you're faithful and you're putting in the due diligence, you will get to where you're aiming uh, yeah. in pastoral ministry. And, and that figuring out how to communicate that across all walks of life, I think is crucial to uh, having programs that yield 10 of 50 uh, right. and, and things like that. And so all of that is, is huge. What was the, what was it like when you guys became adults and whenever you, uh, like, did you maintain relationships with these pastors or how did that go? 
Yeah, uh, I don't. I'm not in contact with them all the time, uh, but certainly social media has facilitated, you know, making that a whole lot easier to stay in touch with folks. Uh, so I'm not in touch with them all of the time, but uh, some of them more than others. Uh, in fact, uh, one of them uh, was a ministry partner to Summit for a while. He's planting churches in Africa. Um, and he was my best friend as a kid, and so we're still in contact regularly. Um, my older brother uh, is one, so, I mean, obviously he's my mm-hmm. brother, so I, I am in touch with him on a regular basis. Uh, some of the others, it's more sporadic. You know, it's like I'll, I'll comment on a post on social media or, you know, probably this was the first time that I had reached out to all of them in a combined way uh, in, in a long time. Um, but I, I am aware of what's going on in their lives and, and, and have the ability to reach out to them easily. So when you're in this, uh, youth ministry and you're a participant in it under these pastors, um, did you guys have to reach out to them and articulate a calling or were they looking to spot that in you and then coming to you? Like who initiated the contact with regards to, Hey, you might be called to do this. Uh, I think it was us as kids. I mean, so, you know, all of the kind of normal youth group stuff, right? You go to youth camps and you go to conventions and, uh, you know, um, all typically in those environments, you know, there'll be an invitation for those who feel like they may have a call of God on their lives for ministry to, you know. And so some of it was that where, like, where there was a response to an invitation by, you know, a few of us in the youth group, we would go forward to say, Hey, I feel like God's put a call on my life. And so then, um, you know, then our pastors would follow up on that say, Hey, you know what? I saw you praying, you know, about having a call on your life. What's God doing in your heart? What's God doing in your life? Um, for others, it was, it, you know, there was a recognition on the part of the pastor that like, there seems to be a, something here, you know, and, and then they would pursue that and say, hey, talk, talk to me about what God's speaking to you because, you know, I see some things in you that I think, you know, um, that God could use, you know. And so it was it kind of went both ways. It just depended mm-hmm. on the person. Uh, for me, like, uh, I never said I wanted to do anything else other than pastor. I mean, I started saying I wanted to preach when I was like five. Really? Yeah. Huh. Yeah, which is crazy. Um, do you know why or was that just... Is it a God thing or was it? It was, it was. So my mom kept scrapbooks Mm -hmm. uh, from my, from my my school days uh, in like in kindergarten. It said, what do you want to do when you grow up? You know? And and it said, I wanted to work at Cooper Tire because that's what my dad did. You know? And so like, but in first grade, it said preach. Huh. And I just knew, I mean, it's, I know that's crazy. I, I look back on it myself and go, man, that's crazy. But I, I absolutely knew from the earliest years of my life that this is what I was supposed to do. Uh, and so so that had gone like, yeah, that was just a, that's what I always had said I wanted to do. And so um, no one questioned it. That's the thing. That was a thing. Like people didn't question it. They encouraged it. And, yeah. uh, and my pastor encouraged it. And when I was old enough to that he thought I was ready to, to you know, uh, contribute right? <laughs> then he made a, made an opportunity for me. Yeah, that might be one of the, probably the maybe the most important part. The, what you're saying about how they 
no one questioned it, right? Like the plan B wasn't a thing that was uh, a regular part of the discussion when it came to discussing your calling. So let's shift this a little bit. And let's say like from a parental perspective, if you have your child um, who's coming to you at that young of an age, like at five and is articulating a calling in that way. And and again, like a a five-year-old articulating a calling and a 20-year-old might not sound the same, but it could still be the same thing. Um, And so how how do you handle that as a parent? Um, Like, because I imagine from a parental perspective, you'd want to encourage the calling, but you'd also kind of be thinking, okay, well, this person's five years old and I don't want to overlay my own excitement onto them to where they feel pigeonholed to do this thing for a living as they continue to grow older. But at the same time, you don't want to question it. So what would you do? um, You know, what would you advise for a parent who has a child, a young child who's starting to kind of talk in this way? Like what, 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 how should they receive that? I mean, I think, I think the same way you would anything else that they might say. Because, I mean, look, there's a very real possibility as a five-year-old kid that I just really liked my pastor, and so I wanted to do what he did. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my, you know, so that could have been what was going on. I don't, it wasn't for me, but that, I mean, that that's a very real right. possibility. You know, so to me, it's like no different if, if my kid comes up and says, I want to be a professional baseball player. Well, what does a parent do, right? They... They take them to the batting cage and they play catch with them and they let them play little league and they, you know, they encourage it, uh, but they don't pull them out of school, mm-hmm. right? You you still give them all the training that they need to, to you know, to thrive in the world. Yeah. And so you, but you you encourage that love for the game, right? Right alongside going to school and right alongside. And so that's what my parents did. You know, it's like they encouraged my my sense of calling. They, they talked about it. Like, uh, it was, I mean, I remember often my, uh, you know, in fact, my, I had a pastor, this was before the two that I mentioned when I was really young and first started saying I wanted to preach our church. There was a different, an older pastor. Um, and, uh, he, uh, he used to ask me, Hey Todd, what do you want to do when you grow up? You know? And I would tell him I want to preach. And so like, that was part of conversation all the time. And, uh, and so, so like my, my parents just encouraged it and want, you know, like tell them what you want to do when you grow up, you Mm -hmm. know, and that kind of thing. And, um, so you can give a child the tools for lateral moves while also encouraging the pursuit of their ministry or of their calling. Like it's not a situation of, okay, I've identified this calling. So we're going to set all of these other things aside and we're going to focus singularly on this. Right because obviously you want to be able to, yeah. like you said, equip a person to be able to do multiple things in, in this space. And look, if there had come a point in my life where I had decided, yeah, no, that's, that was just, that was just what I wanted to be when I was a kid. You know, it's like, everybody wants to be a fireman, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so if, if it had been that kind of thing where at a certain age, I'd have been like, yeah, I don't, I don't really think that's what that's what I don't think that was God, you know, my parents would have been okay with that, Mm -hmm. you know, and they would have encouraged me and helped me to, to find the track that God had, you know, designed for me. Um, now, 
Now, I will say, I think they probably would have been somewhat disappointed because they were very excited about me pursuing ministry. Uh, and I think that was, honestly, that probably was an encouragement to me as well at my parents. Like there was, there was a high sense, both in my church and, and from my parents, really, that, that following the call of God, no matter what it might be, whether it's vocational ministry or not, that following the call of God for your life is the absolute highest pursuit that you can have. Um, and so um, there, there, it really wasn't a question of what am I going to make a living doing? It was, you know, what, you know, uh, what am I going to do with my living? Yeah, that's, that's really fascinating to think about because I think I had the same, I feel like my parents communicated the same kind of thing to me was like, it, it, it wasn't so much, well, look how impressive you're going to be, but it's, it's, it was like, okay, whatever it is that's stirring this or that's making this move forward, you better listen to that because mm -hmm. this, this might be the most important thing that happens to you. And I think that if you can, that, that really needs to be driven home for a kid or for youth or for anyone, an adult. I was an adult. I was like 25. Um, when you recognize that someone is called to do ministry, you should, you should view that as the most important thing that might, that might happen to that person. And you should convey to that person yeah. that, Hey, whatever else you do, um, you may never do something that is going to be as important as what this is. And yeah, that's pressure that, that makes some pressure, but it's not the same kind of pressure right. as like, Hey, if, if you, if you don't do this, I'm going to be let down by you. Like, it's not the same kind of pressure. It's right. not like a, a, you know, a father living vicariously through his son and as an athlete or something like it's, that's not the same kind of pressure as the pressure of a, a God ordained mission. Yeah. Um, and I think well, that some pressure is good in that way. Well, and look, the, this should be true of every follower of Jesus, not just those who are, you know, called as pastors and teachers and shepherds and, you know, not just those, right? But every follower of Jesus, there should be a, a sense that, like, there is something I need to be busy doing that that God has preordained for me to do, right? Uh, what is it for me to be faithful? Because that's what God is after. You know, and I think oftentimes we default to, you know, what can I be successful at? And like, that's the wrong question, right? When, and especially, man, if, like if we're talking about ministry, Success is the wrong question. Look, and it's not that God doesn't want to bring us blessing and success in ministry. I mean, certainly, you know, uh, I believe that God wants to to bless uh, our ministries. God wants to see, you know, like that there should be people who are being saved. We should be raising up people to to do the work of ministry. Our our churches should be. Uh, you know, making an impact in our communities, our, the cities and, and communities that we are in should be better places because we are there. It's not that I don't think God is concerned with what we might call success, 
But I believe that those things come as a result of faithfulness, and mm-hmm. that faithfulness is a thing that we ought to be pursuing. And sometimes, it, man, it may not look like monetary success or m- numerical success or whatever you know other kind of things we may want to try and measure. Sometimes it looks really different, um, and that's hard for us to hard for us to reconcile because we we just we want to be able to measure it all. Um, yeah, I I, th- I do believe it's the case that a good pastor, an excellent pastor, can be put in situations where doing ministry for that pastor feels the same as trying to administer life-saving med- medicine on a hospice ward. Like, it's just not, yeah. it, you just aren't seeing fruit, and you're doing the things, you're being faithful to your calling, and you're doing the things right, but circumstantially, it's just not taking yeah. in that moment. And if you, if you're tying up your reason for doing it in the people itself. So I, I was actually talking with our young adults, pastor Kendall, a little bit about this earlier, um, trying to sort out like whether or not your ministry should be aimed at God or should yeah. be aimed at people. And the conclusion that I had come to was that, okay, your ministry is aimed at people, but the reason for doing it is because God told you to do it. Right. So your reason fundamentally for let's say what let's say what you are as a minister is an expository preacher. Like that's your thing. That's your wheelhouse. Like that's that's what makes up most of your ministry. So if I'm an expository preacher, I'm going to preach expository sermons even if there's no one there to listen to them. Because what I'm doing is I am obeying God. Right. I'm obeying God's call to do that thing. Right. And yes, I'm aimed at people. So I care about the people. I love the people. I, I try to, uh, b- you know, better the community and better their lives. And, and the product of what I'm doing is aimed at people as it should be. We're called to make disciples. Yeah. But the reason for doing it is not bound up in the people. And it's weird to think about because there's some kind of detachment there, but it's not really detachment. It's, it's a, always having your eyes on God as you're yeah. doing all of this. It's, it's, I'm doing this because God told me to do it and this is how God said to do it. And so right. I can be certain that I'm doing it the right way because this is his prescription. So I'm going to keep doing it this way, even if it's not yielding fruit. And yeah, look, go, going back to the church that I grew up in and the, in that particular season, it was never a large church, right? Uh, you know, it, about 130 people typically on a weekend was was normal. There were times when it would spike and get a little more than that, you know, 160, 175, I remember a few times that it got up to, which I know is not a tiny church, but it's certainly not uh, a large church. Um, and it never got any larger than that, Right. Uh, so there wasn't all, there weren't all of the trappings of, and this is during the time when, you know, mega churches first started becoming a thing, right? So, um, it never got any larger than that. It never had all of the trappings of what we might call success in terms of, um, you know, measurable things. It, it just maintained about where it was. Um, but, the impact of that church has been massive. Right, yeah. Right? Like when you start to extrapolate and multiply out over time, the numbers of people, and that was one of the things that came up in this conversation with our our former pastors was like, these men have spiritual grandchildren (laughs) 
all over the globe. Yeah, right? that's incredible. Literally all over the globe um, that they've never met, that they don't, you know, that they probably will never meet on this side of heaven. Uh, and if you were just to go back and isolate that church during those few years and go, does this church have the trappings of success? No, we didn't. We didn't have, there, weren't, there wasn't a ton of money. It wasn't a huge congregation. It wasn't like, you know. But those men were, were faithful. They were faithful to invest in us as young people. They were faithful to pastor and to lead well. And and the you know the 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 fruit over time has been phenomenal, but you wouldn't have seen that if you just took a snapshot you know thirty years ago and said you know what's what's going to be the impact of these hundred and thirty people on the world? Yeah, that's a that's one of the things that it's like difficult to come to grips with as a pastor, but it's also one of the most beautiful things about pastoring is that, is that you, yeah, you, you may not see it in this life. Um, but you can be faith. You can trust that God is good. And that if you are faithful to do the work that he has called you to do, that he will use it. And then when you get to look back at stories like the one that you've laid out today, I think that stories like this function as very good affirmation for pastors who are in the midst of their their own part of this story right now yeah and they're not seeing the things that you know they might want to see but they can know based on god's work throughout history that he's going to use it if you stay faithful and uh man like that's that's such a important lesson that is probably one of the most important lessons that a pastor should have as they're going into pastoral ministry is, is knowing that right there. And so I'm really glad that you unpacked that for us today. I think that's probably a good place to wrap this up. We'll leave this, um, this story and the lessons drawn from it as its own episode, I think is a, is a good thing. So look, I really appreciate you guys for joining us for the Back 40 Leadership Podcast, and uh, we'll see you in the next episode. If you enjoy this content, please let us know by rating and reviewing the podcast. You can also contact us at summitpodcasts.church. Remember to share this episode with your friends and on social media. Summit Podcasts can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Thank you for listening to the Back 40 Leadership Podcast, and we will see you in the next episode.